0: as a recommendation from uh, one of my peers in the industry. And uh, I did find it very – you know, he, he said when he recommended it, um, it's, you know, a little, uh, you know, hokey a little bit, and, and, but interesting. and had some, some interesting thoughts. So I thought, okay, well, that will be fun. And it's fun because of the movie and um, all that. And just as a reminder to everyone that's on the call – We are recording the call so people can listen to it later at their leisure if they don't have a chance to be on today. But thank you guys for being on today. And I encourage, even if you haven't read the book, encourage discussion on some of the points and the questions that we will bring up from the book. So the first question is that I want to put out to the group is, he talks about early on that every sale is the same. And I'm curious, when I read that, I had my opinion about that. What do do you all think? Gary, what do you think? Is every sale the same?
1: I don't think every sale is the same, personally, only because I think there's different personalities involved. There might be some certain life cycles of a sale that is the same, but I think, you know, the intricacies of especially commercial real estate transactions is, personalities involved, but I think there's a lot of, I think there's, I think the life cycle is the same.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. When I was, when I was, I, I read and listened to the book. It's easier for me to listen to the book, but then I go back and try to read parts of it that I want to talk about so that I can make notes in the margins. And I, I thought when he said that every sale's the same, I didn't, I, I instantly said, That's not true, but then I'm trying to keep open-minded, right? So, so I'm like, hmm, well, what is he talking about with that? And and he go, he then goes into he says there's three areas that you have to get your prospect to a level of strong certainty, and it's you yourself, you know, the the selling person, the leasing agent, or the you know the, the salesperson, your your product and your company. And he says that if you can't get the buyer to a level of certainty with those three areas, yourself, your product, and your company, that you'll never make a sale. And, um, you know, I thought that that was interesting. I definitely agree that people don't buy from you unless they like you and trust you. So I agree with the, you know, the three legs of the stool. I agree with yourself. I certainly agree as far as with leasing agents on the phone. They're not going to lease space from you if they don't love the product. I've never had anyone sign a lease with me that, you know, didn't 100% believe in that their business could do better being in that shopping center. I'm not really sure about the company uh, in our business. You know, does, you know – I think there are some companies in South Florida for various reasons that may not have the best reputation, but the person that, you know, the salesperson, the the buyer likes and trusts, I don't really know how much that that comes into play. Anyone on the phone have a, even if you didn't read the book, have an opinion about that. Do you think that a prospect is not going to sign a lease with you or buy a piece of property from you if they don't have 100% certainty about the company.
2: Hey, Beth. Fred. Hey, Fred. Olaf from the West Coast. Um,
0: Olaf, it's early there. Thank you for being up so early.
2: Oh, Beth, it's only 9.30. Come on now. I get up at (laughs) 5. Okay. Um, Okay. the 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 leasing process is yourself and the prospect and obviously the product the the company part I really from a mom and pop standpoint I don't think it comes into play um, initially um, you know you you agree on terms you you get a lease draft uh, there may be some comments um, you sign a lease. The company signs the lease. Um, I try to handhold as much as I can after that point, but um, I know some people, um, uh, like our accounting department, uh, right. has its issues, and and then people can uh, have an opinion about your company, and that's when you get a well, when I get a phone call or an email. And and say help and, um, but I think up front it's it's obviously uh, in your case Beth it's you and uh, and the product and the prospect and that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I and I I agree. I think that where the company comes into play two are two areas. I think the company comes into play if it's a multi-tenant operator or multi-unit operator and they've had a bad experience right and they say i would never lease from that company again <clears throat> alternatively i was recently in washington dc working with rapaport and we went canvassing and it was amazing how many people this had never happened to me ever where we would we would walk into shopping centers and walk into prospect spaces and say hey we're, you know we have shopping centers in the area are you looking for additional locations and we would hand them the flyer and i would say 3 out of every 5 prospects would look at the flyer and say oh Rappaport, we know them they're great landlords which <laughs> how easy for the for the leasing agent to have that have a company that has that kind of reputation and you know in such a small market so or not, you know, not that Washington is a small market, but they really own that market, and that is a positive for that leasing agent. But I, but I, I thought the same thing. And does anyone disagree? Is anyone on the phone? I know we've got a bunch of people on the phone. Do any of you think that for us leasing agents, the company plays a big part? Because he, because he went on and on in the book about this.
3: Nope. Hey, bet this is Mike. I, I agree. I think the company does do does play a huge part on um, when you're know, leasing. You know, when we, we're out there prospecting for tenants and stuff like that. Depending on you know who the landlord is, you know, some tenants you'll find have had bad experiences, and it may have been you know just luck of a draw or unlucky you know unluckiness. But uh, you know, I think it's all a matter of opinion on, and I think you've got to change people's perspective if they did have a bad experience and. But uh, I 100 percent agree that it is, you know, the the company itself has a lot to do with, you know, people's vision of of the company. So,
0: so 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 you disagree with me because I don't I think it's more about us, the leasing agents and the shopping centers, and I don't really think the, the companies come into play unless the, it's a multi unit operator and they added that experience. But you feel like the company, like when you're out prospecting or canvassing, do you feel that that they want to know, well, who is Woolbright and, you know, how successful are they? Like, do you think the prospects care about the company? Because, you know, I always teach when I go canvassing, don't even, you know, and and it it flies in the face of what he talks about. I walk in and say, hey, I I own shopping centers. What are your expansion plans? I don't tell them my name. I don't tell them my company because I feel that they don't, you know, we're interrupting them and they just want us to cut to the chase. So, I'm curious, Mike, do you find that prospects ask you a lot about your company or the company who owns the properties?
3: I think it's a mix. So, yes, I have, you know, I'll, I'll canvassing. I've grown out people have asked me, people that have been in business for a while and have had multiple locations or been in different shopping centers, you know, will ask, I'll okay, hand flyers for third party leasing assignments that we have to tenants. And they're like, oh, no, I don't, I've been in the shop this landlord. I don't like this landlord. Thank you. And they don't even want to hear anything else. Um, but, and I've got that. A couple of other experiences where you know I've handed them flyers from our company like oh yeah you know we love what you guys do we love how you guys remodel centers we love how you spend money on the center you know so it's 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 hit or miss I think it's depending on the tenant's experience. Okay, well I think so. His point basically is unless you
0: have a hundred percent or you know high high level of certainty uh, with the prospect on you your product and your company you're not going to make a sale and I would say for sure I agree with you the seller. And I agree with the product. I think, like, the company in our business is maybe 50-50 on that. So then he goes into, it's very funny, he starts talking about um, what I would call the qualifying phase. And he says, you know, I don't call it qualifying. I call it intelligence gathering which I loved, and he said, don't be the grand inquisitor, which I think for sure I am. (laughs) I am for sure the grand inquisitor. Uh, Later on in the book, he talks about how experts in our field don't go off on multiple tangents. One of the examples is a guy who's talking to a prospect about duck hunting and how the prospect – you know, starts going off on this tangent, and this kid from India—I guess it was a call center or something—so starts telling the prospect, "Yes, I love duck hunting," which was all BS. And he went on and on for 15 minutes about duck hunting and how, when you're an expert in the business, time is your commodity, and you want to. He, he described prospects as—I um, think this is on my next page. Hold on. He describes prospects as. Um, hungry, oh, where is it? Hold on. Looky lose, which I loved. Looky lose, get rid of the looky lose. Um, buyers in heat or buyers in power. So he said that, um, you know, to be careful to be the grand inquisitor because, you know, you may. You may tick them off or say, who the heck is this guy? But at the same time, you have to do a very good balance between asking the questions. He talks later about how you should ask them in order, you know, which
4: –
0: Hi, who's ever talking, please put your phone on mute. Um, So, um, I think that we have a certain order of the things that we need to find out, right? So, who wants to raise their hand and talk about the obvious first five questions that we would ask a prospect?
1: Hey, Beth, this is Michael Brandon here. Uh, Can I just interject with something before we get into that? There was a really interesting point that that he made about asking permission to qualify prospects in conjunction yeah. with being the grand inquisitor. Yeah. And everyone what on the phone, I'm that. sure is. Well, I think I use your, I call it your uh, your template for questions to ask prospects on the phone constantly. It hangs up in front of my phone. And okay. the one nuance to this that I think is brilliant is, Rather than avoiding answering the question on what's the rent, is parsing that by saying, do you mind if I ask you a couple questions about your business? Mm -hmm. And I tried this probably 10 or 15 times on the phone yesterday to kind of remarkable response because it opened up a conversation rather than avoiding a question I kind of got them to talk about what they wanted to do and found that to be a really comfortable way for me to get my intelligence gathering out of the way before they got to find out what the rent was.
0: So I love that. I wanted to speak about that today because you can imagine, you know, and I I have – you know, met with many of you, and, Michael, we've worked together, and I, I despise when people say that to me. Can I, ask, can I ask you a question? Just ask the friggin' question. But I do, I see how, and I, and I know we all have challenges when there. are just, just tell me the rent. You know, stop asking me questions, just tell me the rent. So I do see, and I'm happy to hear you have positive results, that, you know, before I give you the rent, can I ask you some things about your business? I like that. I like that a lot. But, I, and, but as I was reading it, when he said, ask permission to ask questions, I, again, being – and, and trying not to be close-minded, but I was, like, rolling my eyes. You know, the vet in me was like, oh, I hate when people do that. I hate when a car salesman person says, can I ask you some questions? No, j- well, just ask the questions. But so – Right. What I think it's a, yesterday.
5: It's
0: a, yeah, I mean, it, I, I found it to be
1: a – I hate to use his word, tonality, but right. it's how you ask that question – and rather than can I ask you can I ask you a question because you're already asking a question. Right. Can I ask you a question about your business, it kind of takes it to a different level.
0: And I like that you said you said, do you mind? Do you mind if I ask you a few questions about your business? So what would be the first five in order that we should ask? I'm going to let you, Michael, what, do you, what are the first five that you ask? Sure.
1: I think the, well, assuming that the prospect hasn't said anything, then I think you first of all want to ask them what kind of business are they interested in opening? Right. And you find out uses. And then from there you ask them, are they, do they have a location in the market? Or do they have another location? So depending on who you're talking to, how you might phrase that. That will tell you whether it's a startup, how much thought they've put into it, or if it's a a business you're familiar with. A lot of qualifications and intelligence to be gained from that. And then how many square feet are you looking for? Mm
0: -hmm. And then how how do you guys – like I hear, pe- you know, I hear there's a lot of different ways that people say. So when you say to the, to the prospect, "So do you have any other locations?" and they go, "No," so, so for example, there are aspirational ways to say things. You know, we were canvassing the other day, and I fi- and I find myself doing this and I correct myself, you know, is this your only location, you know, when you're in the store instead of how many locations do you have, right? So when someone says, and, and, you know, Mogerman, you can answer, when someone says to you, no, I don't have any other locations, how do you respond to that?
3: I would ask them if they have any interest in, in, in opening other locations. You know, if they've had no, other no I'm saying, let's say it's a call-in,
0: and, and you're okay. you're you're saying, so what's your business? And they say, oh, I'm a yoga studio. And you say, so how many square feet are you looking for? 1,400 square feet. Do you have any other locations? When they say no, what what do you say next?
3: I always ask if they have a business plan in place, and if oh, they could awesome. send it over to me. And...
0: How, how, is get... how is that received? How is that received? I, of course, love that, that you say that. <laughs> But how many times do they say, yes, I have a business
3: plan? Rarely. You know, yes, many. You've got – yeah, you've got uh, – I found that, you know, you waste so much time if you go, if I, you know, if you go and show space to somebody who's just got an idea. You know, you'll, you'll drive all the way out, you make the appointment, you show the space, and you find out, you know, it's just an idea they're thinking about doing. And, you know, so I think when you've got to be, you know, smart with your time, I think right. you know it's it's good to sift through you know pro- like kind of what they mentioned in the book, sift through your pro- proper prospects and spend right. time on yes, those sister. because you don't want, you don't want to waste time on you know opportunities that just aren't there. So.
0: Who else has any input on when you say do you have any other locations and then they say no? Anybody else have any responses that work that work well without ticking them off? Because <laughs> I've heard. I've heard lots of responses to that question. Oh, so this is your first location. You know, what I, what I sometimes what I'll say is, tell me why you – this is when I kind of go into, so tell me what you liked about my shopping center. So to kind of get them to now talk about why they called on Shops of Arrowhead, and then I get a little more feedback of what they're looking for, and if they respond and say, oh, well, we just drove by and saw the number – you're, now you're starting to kind of get information from them, good or bad, if they're you know, serious. Or my friend owns the Caneswear store. Or, well, I really like, you know, I saw the two vacancies that you have. You know, you, you kind of get more feedback on how serious they are with the answer to that question, not to mention how much information you get about, they you know later on, when they start bringing up objections, if they are serious, they usually contradict what they said in that original call. Thoughts
3: That's about in that? addition, we sometimes yeah. if they tell me they don't have a plan, we actually have where I use a, I've got like a little simple one-page kind of business plan thing that I'll yeah. you know offer to send in and ask them to fill it out just to kind of get a better idea of what they know about the business and what the, you know, what their plans are. so which is like,
0: which is like income and expenses, right?
3: Yeah, it's just income expenses. Very simple, you know, look, tell me a little bit about the business. Tell me what you, you, your, your budget is, um, what you're expecting to, what, you know, if you know the cost, what it's going to take to open the space. It's just kind of, you know, there's like a dozen questions on it, but it's very, just right. kind of like a one-line answer stuff, so. I have
4: I think to, one key question would be, me. sorry, I think one key question would be, you know, what experience do you have in that particular business?
0: Exactly. That's a great question. That's a great question. So that, that like y- yesterday we talked to or a couple of days ago, we talked to a dermatologist and I said, do you have another dermatology center? And they said, no. And I said, are you a new dermatologist? And she said, mm-hmm. no. She said, I've been working in one for nine months. So yeah. So what experience do you have in the field that you want to go into? Awesome. Okay.
1: I like to ask semantically, Beth, are you active in the industry? Okay.
0: I feel so like it, it
1: resonates better with people than okay. a had experience. It's industry. kind of like, are you the owner?
0: Okay. Are you active in the industry? Good. Any or the other? business,
1: depending upon the, the scale of it.
0: Awesome. Any other comments on questions? You know, when, well, a lot of times when people say to me, like in the qualifying, sometimes they come right out on the call and say, well, how much money are you going to give me, right? How much TI are you going to give me? And I always respond with, um, well, how much, are you, how much is it cost to open your store, and how much are you, you know, putting in yourself? Those are my questions when they ask me how much TI is available, who
4: has some thoughts about that? Yeah, I, and I embellish that a little bit by stating that uh, the rent uh, is X number of dollars for $10 in TI, and if you want additional TI, um, you know, we would amortize the rest of it over the course of the lease. So that that opens up, you know, the, the um, discussion with the prospective tenant of, how much they're really looking for in the space and what the total cost is going to be, and if they don't have experience, you know, you should really count on the experience that you've had in building out other spaces. <clears throat> so it all depends you on the landlord or the company that you, so you work with. For
0: the ten dollars right up front.
4: Well, it depends. It depends on what the space is, the condition, um, you know, how how strong the center is. Um, uh, how, how long the space has been vacant for? There's a lot of different factors. Right. If you're trying to obtain very high rents and you're you've got a company that you work for that is okay with giving out TI because you're looking for the return on the investment and want the higher rent, then yes. If you're yeah. working for a landlord that doesn't want to give out anything, just maybe a couple months free rent is a different story. Right. 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 So you really kind of have to feel, you know, how the, the tenant is looking at this, and you want to feel them out. And, and you brought up a very good point is, you know, how much money are you going to put into the business? What's the total cost? How much are you going to put in? Because we don't want to put in a lot of money if you're not going to put in money. Right. And and yeah. also depends how strong they are financially and if they're going to guarantee the lease. So there's right. a lot of different factors that enter into the equation.
0: Which makes me the grand inquisitor.
4: Right. (laughs) That's why you have to be there. Exactly. Uh,
0: But, uh, you know, I love reading. Uh, Anyway, so the next point he talks about that I wanted to bring up, which was shocking to me, well, I don't know if it was shocking, but how about the logic and the emotion? So, what do they buy on? They don't buy on logic, and they buy on emotion. But Logic is the, um, the information that gets them to their emotional place. So uh, certainly I can tell you I have certainly bought on emotion and not on logic, but you can't have one without the other. So how does that work in our business? Who wants to jump in? Jake. I, I know Jake is on the phone. Have you had any have any um, input on logic and emotion yet in your young career?
1: Um, Yeah, hey, Beth, how's it going? Um, So what do you mean by logic and emotion? Like when I'm negotiating with a tenant who is is opening, let's say, a second location, and like they're – so I've had had a deal where I've negotiated with a tenant. um, It was a smoothie and bubble tea operator, and he's got two locations open, um, and we backed into what sales he was projecting and the rent that we need. Um, and we just didn 't think it was going to be a healthy rent to sales ratio. He was around ten percent, maybe a little above with what sales he was projecting um so I think that is kind of a, a good example of you know we kind of took our logic and yeah, emotionally, I want to get the deal done right i want I want our center to be full and and to get paid, but logically um the, the deal just didn 't make sense
0: and did, and you didn't and you didn't move forward
3: we ended up not doing that
1: deal, yeah, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, well so what he talks about on page twenty five is that you that you the salesperson have to provide the logic, but that no one ever buys on logic. So the fact for example, demographics, well we have sixty thousand cars that pass by, or there's, you know, twelve million dollars of sales in the center, or the parking ratio is, you know, one per whatever you know that that all of that is necessary, but that the buyer never buys on that. Right. Do you guys agree? Does everyone agree with that on the phone, or does anyone disagree
4: with that? I, this is Susano. I, I would say that I disagree with that when it comes to national chains and when it comes to mom and pops. I think it would be more. Of um, you know, I think when you're working with chains, it's more logic. They have their formulas. They they they, they know what their projections are going to be, and they need to be at a sales ratio that makes sense for them to go ahead and open that store. Okay. Whereas if it's a mom and pop, it's more of an emotional uh, situation. I think.
0: Yeah, I I think that's a great point, Joe. I I, I would agree with that. Uh, later on it talks about later on in the book he talks about it takes eight instances to repair a bad first impression and i immediately wrote in my notes nationals <laughs> because
4: for all <laughs> yeah. of the
0: times as rookies or not rookies we send those nasty email blasts i i did a, um a friend of mine who's a national retailer of a very large box Sent me a copy of an email he sent to a 30-year vet in the business, and the email went like this: "Dear Blank, Beth Azor has this class on leasing where she highly recommends you don't send email blasts to a tenant that is in the market of your of your prospective site, especially if you rep the tenant and had just put them in the site across the street." You know, love you, see you in Vegas. But her, th- so this this tenant was represented by this agent and two people in her office. Not once, but twice, email blasted that guy with the location across the street. So, when that happens, and we all make those mistakes, uh, I do agree. And, and the retailers tell me, I remember those people that do that. It takes, you know, it, and I think that that had, when, when I read that, it takes eight times to fix that impression. I just wrote, Joe, I wrote next to it, nationals. So
4: <laughs>
0: Great. Um, the next thing that they talked in the book was hey, about, yeah.
6: Hey, it's Alan Kelly with Waterstone. How's it going?
0: Hi, Alan. How are you?
6: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I just had a, I had a thought on the uh, logic and emotion. Um, we, we did a deal recently with nine, with a nine round franchisee and our center is across the street from, you know, the the 800 pound gorilla in the market. Yeah. And so when we got the call, I was, I was trying to figure out how we could, how we could win this deal loan that we were, we were going to be the underdog. We had comparable space in in the center next door. We had, um, You know, we we had a little bit larger of a a space in our center um, so they could do a better economic deal uh, next door to us. And I figured the only way to do it would be to start to highlight the differences in what we could do versus the large national developer next door who might not be as flexible. So when we started to lay it all out, it, uh, it really resonated. And the franchisee started to... I think see on the other side what they were what what I was expl- what, the way I approached the deal was from a very personable non rigid you know what what can we do for you kind of perspective mm-hmm. uh what's your timelines how can we meet them versus here's the space here's the the rent you know and I think the only way that we got that deal done was by appealing to the emotional side versus the logic the logic would say you should go next door all day long mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we ended up getting the deal. And when I looked at it uh, after the fact, we had probably with the inc- with the increased square footage, they would have paid. I'm trying to think the number off the top of my head. They they paid substantially more in rent than they could have gotten across the street from what we comped out.
0: Wow. So do you think it was because of his emotional reaction to you? Because you were, because you, it sounds like you were giving logical reasons why he should be at your property, but you were also applying to his needs and saying that you guys were going to be flexible and be, you know, and then maybe that, the emotional, you know, addressing his needs instead of black and white, maybe bigger company across the street.
6: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I mean, you know, from the get-go, it was, you know, so, so I guess the, difference here is I might I might not have been able to make that decision on the fly um if I had picked up the you know the in, inbound call but um it came to a voicemail and I thought okay I read you know read the situation a little bit and said I don't if I play this all the way out A through Z I don't see if I'm in their shoes how I how I make the decision to come to our center, which is a lesser center. And with the increased square footage, more than they need in our center, how we could win on economics. So I just went all in from the get-go on. Motion. Uh, in my in, but my my initial call with them, um, just acting like I was purely in customer service. You know. Well, and it doesn't
0: uh, it doesn't it doesn't hurt because you have your your wonderful Irish accent. <laughs>
6: I, <laughs> You know, I you know I uh, I try to fall back on that when need be, um, but no, it, it, I I really I just anticipated what the conversation might might sound like um, to the to the large national who has all the co tenancy in the nationals, and and just thought to myself, you know, it, uh, knowing what we know from recent comps on on the you know the 1200 square foot units that they had, um, what uh, what that conversation might sound like especially when they, oh, you know, they they're they're stabilized and whatnot and i just i mean it was i, I don't know whether it was the the reason but i at, at the end all when wins, you know some rapport North that,
5: North that North we North had North
6: the well, with the tenant, North uh, North. it really felt like it was no longer a decision they just felt so comfortable with those and all the answers that we we're providing to them, uh, and the fact that we were we were approaching it from a from a perspective of like, well, we can help you with this. We understand you're a new franchisee. You know what you know the business, but you don't know how to get there uh, quite you know just yet. So we you know we provided contractor suggestions. We you know tried to just from the get go lay it all out, and uh, and yeah, it ended up being a decision between which space in our center to take and not which. What's That's, what's That's
0: great. I love that. I, I I do find also. I know a lot of times people, some you know, agents will say, you know, I'm not as lucky to work for a company where I have where I have the ability to lease, you know, 30 Kroger or Publix or Whole Foods or Trader Joe's shopping centers. My properties are, you know, B and C properties. Uh, you know, the the spaces are not clean they're not you know vanilla shelled and but i do think that the leasing agents that have the 30 or 40 properties they can't do what alan just explained that he did basically they get 25 calls in you know i know i know one large company the leasing agent has one cell phone for people he gives his number out to and all of his leasing calls just go to another line so so just for those of you on the phone that, you know, sometimes we think those agents are blessed, right, because they're just maybe they just are lucky enough and can just take orders. When you have more of more challenges you have better deeper relationships with the prospects you know i'm trying to spin this you know for those of you that are in those situations you can spend more time you will become a better leasing agent because you have to work harder and create the relationship with the prospect and then i believe you know call me uh you know call me uh uh, you know, I don't know what what the word is, but I I think that you feel better later on when you've had the struggle and you make it happen, right? You know, Alan, you said I don't know how I'm going to pull this off, and then you did. My guess is that felt really good.
6: Yeah, especially you know um,
0: when, when, you when I looked back across and I saw the,
6: street. That the yeah for more for more rent. Um, right, right. You know, granted, it's, it's it's larger space, and that's what drove it. We wouldn't have we wouldn't have beaten them on per square foot basis, but. Um, But just the fact that, you know, I I can't honestly say that I could – it was actually Nicola and I in our office. I can't say that we we could have dedicated uh, as much time to every tenant. Um, Yeah. You know, but in in that, you know, that's a center we needed help on, and it it worked out for the best in the end.
0: Customer service worked. And, you know, what you said, and and going back to being the grand inquisitor, I think uh, a question that doesn't get asked – Often enough, which I think is crucial and sometimes will absolutely help you win over another competing property in the market, is the timing question. You know, I've been focusing a lot more on that recently where I say to the prospect, well, what's your timing? Well, you know, I need to be in and open in 30 days. Okay, well, that doesn't work out for me. You know, sorry, I'd love to have you, but I, you know, the space isn't available already. Versus, You know, well, I don't need it for a year. Okay, well, let me walk you through how this is going to go. You know, and by the time you explain to them the lease process, the permitting process, the build-out process, we need to start talking now. So I I think that we all should make sure, and I don't think, Michael, that on that prospect list of questions that are pinned in front of your phone, I don't think the timing question is even on that sheet. So I'm going to have Josie, when she gets back from vacay, add that because I think that's a crucial question. So he he talks next in the book about objections being smoke screens, and I always call them, you know, I always say that objections are just the way to slow down the process because, you know, they don't want to make the decision. So they want to throw a lot of objections in your face because they don't want to buy fast, and they want to slow down the process because they're, again, maybe they're logic. Has, their emotion has to get caught up with their logic, like logically, they like the property, but emotionally, we as salespeople haven't gotten them to that level of certainty that he talks about in the book so do you do you guys agree you know with objections being a lot of times smoke screens? Barry Wolf are you still on?
5: Um, can you... Yeah, as far as objections smoke screens?
0: Yeah, our objections smoke screens? Yeah. I
5: think they can be. It's funny, actually. I just, um, I just wondered, look. Uh, can you speak
0: closer to the phone, my dear?
5: <laughs> oh, sorry. I had my headset up. Um, yeah, no, it's funny, actually. There's a book that Jeff Blount, a book I love, Fanatical Prospecting and Sales EQ. He just released a new book called Objections. <laughs> I'm looking, I literally just got released this week. And I guess a part of what uh, the this book is about is at times, yeah, definitely they can be smoke screens or they can be the red herring where it's not really the true objection. And I think it gets down to listening and kind of trying to, you know, being empathetic, understanding where they're coming from and just trying to get to what, what are real objections. And it's usually not the first thing that somebody says.
0: Yeah. And, and what he talks about in the in – more towards the back of the book is he talks about deflecting the objection, um, I, you know, made a note, I don't really like that word deflecting, in, you know, because I feel like you're avoiding it. What I, what I believe what we should be doing with objections a lot of the time is agreeing with them. It, it, depending on what the objection is you know in one of my properties i literally have no parking so when they call in and say i want to see space and i say great you know and i talk to them and i ask them what do you like about my property and they always say oh i love the traffic and then certainly you know 100 percent of the time when i'm showing them the space they look around and they go oh i can't come here there's no parking <laughs> So, but I know, So, and I agree, I don't deflect it. What he says is, what you should say is, I hear what you're saying, but let me ask you a question. Does the idea of, well, he didn't say this, but I added leasing. Does the idea of leasing here make sense to you? Do you like the idea? So I wouldn't do that. I would just say, yes, you're right. I don't have any parking. and then I. But then what I would, I would follow up, that agreement with my question of, However, um, Mr. Yoga Studio, what are your peak hours? And then the yoga studio, he says, well, my peak hours are from 6 to 9 and from, you know, 5 to 9 at night. And then I would say, great, let's, what, what I would encourage you to do is come look at the center, not at 1 o'clock in the afternoon where I have five restaurants open for lunch, but come when your peak hours are and, and let me know what you think about the parking then. I, see, I, I think I heard someone wanting to inject, interject.
5: No, I agree with you, Beth. And I think what I think is a big mistake is to ever. I, I like your stance where you agree. What I think is a huge mistake is just you're never going to convince anybody why they're wrong. So I think it's a, to say, you know, they throw their objection. Well, let me tell you why you're wrong.
2: Oh yeah. Um, and
5: what I use like as an example, you're just talking about your parking. Anybody that ever object, you know, brought up that whether it's your property or other properties, whether it's you know, limited parking, I always. I get it. Yeah, parking is really tight. I've got other properties we have in the market that have a ton of parking. The, the tenants don't do very well, but there's lots and lots of parking available. Um, and they look at, it, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I like to agree. And maybe, particularly like you said, you deflect it. We're not deflect, Not the right way to say. But, you know, when do they really operate? Come back when. You know, when's the peak time for you?
0: Exactly. And I and I like you know what you just said. And I thought you were going down in different different direction, but when, what a lot of times what I'll say, and I'm lucky because I have a couple properties near each other, and I'll say, yes, absolutely, the parking here is, is very difficult. I have a property down the street where the parking is a little better. Do you want to go check that out? And I've done that also with rents. Wow, your rents are so high. Yep, they definitely are high. And then I follow that question up with, or that objection up with, are you looking in other markets or just this market? Because if your knowledge about your market is where it should be, by the way, everyone should be meeting with their, leasing, their neighborhood leasing agents at least once a year, if not twice a year for coffee, so you have full market knowledge. Um, but if you know, are you looking just in this market, or are you looking in other markets? And then if they say, no, I'm only looking in this market, well, have you, have you found cheaper rents, you know, much cheaper rents than me in this market? You know, and then they can say, "Oh yeah, Susan across the street's quoting 20," and if you know she's really quoting 30, you, you know, I would I never say, "Well, you're wrong." I just say, "Oh wow, that's great." If if she, you know, if, if she's quoting those rates, you know, that I I certainly would take a look at that, you know, knowing that he's just BSing you, because he's trying to get you to drop your rate. But I like offering a choice, like, "Oh, I have another shopping center in the same market. The 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 rents are are." less, you know, well, oh, no, I don't like that center. Okay. So, and that's when he also talks about making sure that you understand the importance of their needs. What are the importance of their needs? Is rent important? Is traffic important? Is co-tenancy important? Is build-out important? There are so many things that we have to, as grand inquisitors or intelligence gatherers, understand before we start negotiating. Because for those of you on the phone that have to take your deals to a leasing director, I don't want you. I don't want the leasing director to say, "Well, you need to go back and find these four things out," because I can't approve your deal because you don't have all of the information. So um, he talks about about action threshold and determining the person on the other side of the table, your prospect, if they have a low action threshold or a high action threshold. I I don't know if you guys agree, but I think that most salespeople have a low action threshold. I think we except for, you know, I don't know, I'm teasing Barry Wolf, but except for some people, I think a lot of us buy things faster than we should. Does anyone agree with that on the phone? I, I know I do. I don't do the due diligence as much as I should on certain items. But, I, but has anyone has anyone thought about that? And for those of you that read the book, what did you think about this low determining the prospects low action threshold? Meaning, do, are they fast buyers with not that much information, or or, or buyers that want a ton of information?
3: Yeah, this is Mike. Um, I, I typically ask that question kind of a different way. I'll you know I'll ask the prospect you know what what kind of research have they done. On on spaces they're looking at, or what other centers have they looked at? And typically, if you find out that you know if they answer, oh, look, you know, multiple of properties, you can kind of see that they are the kind of guy that's you know doing the research. Or if you talk to somebody who's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just starting. This is kind of the first property I've looked at. You, know, you can find, kind of tell those are the guys that, that aren't the ones that are doing as much research. So,
0: I thank you so much. Hey,
3: Beth, Fred?
0: I, I, yeah, Fred, go.
2: Um, I've I've had. Two different experiences. Uh, one, you, you may get a call in, um, and they'll tell you, and again, my apology, I'm fighting the end of a cold, but um, they'll tell you that they're just starting their their uh, research, and, and I can appreciate that. And I, I do like to help people uh, understand um, retail leasing because many of the call-ins that I get from Arizona and Las Vegas um, I ask the question: Are you familiar with retail uh, leasing? And uh, I would say the better part of people say no, I'm not. And then when you start walking them through what a triple net lease is, it's it can be uh, it's refreshing. <laughs> but um, absolutely. Um, I I again I ask people um, uh, what's your timing in uh, in trying to open a store, and and that's helped me with uh, especially with when you're talking with somebody that's a little bit more experienced. Thank you. But so much. I asked the question what's your timing quite quite
4: yeah, often.
0: That's that's crucially important. I can't believe it's already 12:15. So, um, I'm going to quickly talk about some I want to get to scripts more than anything because I have an opinion about that, but two a couple things that I made notes of the whole 45 45 10 thing on page 69 where it's um, the words you speak are 10% of what they take out of it and it's 40 so tonality so the tone in your voice is 45% your body language is 45% so the tone of your voice and your body language is 90% of human communication and the words are 10% I found that fascinating and shocking and i and i think i've heard that before but i don't know it didn't it didn't resonate with me as much so i so that i wanted to make sure that you guys heard um he talks a lot he does talk about how the unconscious mind makes a decision 200 million times the conscious mind 200 million times the conscious mind, the un- and that the, is the unconscious mind makes the decision, and that comes from history of experiences dealing with people. So if if you have the name Mike and he has a bad experience with the name Mike, poor Mogerman, you're and, and Brandon, you're 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 stuck with that that negative, um, unconscious thing that's going on in his body. So I thought that that was interesting. He talks about whispering, how at certain times to lower your voice when you're talking to a prospect makes a big difference. I, I like that. I've done that a few times. He talks about acting as if, which I think hopefully we all do, act as if we're the number one leasing agent in the world and having that confidence and that um, that enthusiasm and that that presence of expertise, I thought. You know, yeah, Mogerman calls me. Mogerman's the one that recommended the book. And when he starts talking about boom
3: boom, thanks, Mike. So you, he's smelling some. <laughs> you know, something. I warned you about that.
0: You did, but I do think I. You know, we just went to a Gary Vaynerchuk. I took my team to a Gary Vaynerchuk event, and Tony Robbins was there. And for sure, they call this anchoring. And when Tony Robbins claps his hand and like punches his hand out to the like the the the, the air, I think that's his way of anchoring because he does it so often. So, um, so that anchoring thing I thought was very interesting. You guys can read about that. And then eye contact. He says that prospects, if you don't have 72% or more eye contact, they won't trust you. So I thought that that was interesting. Um, he, he says that the words sound fair enough. Um, so he talks about this whole, this, there's a chapter in the book where he talks about taking declarative statements and, ch- and turning them into questions, which I think the millennial generation has figured this out to the T. Uh, so, but he says, like, my daughter, you know, Daddy, you, you, we're gonna go to Toys R Us, right? And, you know, and all of the statements are, or you said we'd go to Toys R Us. When are we gonna leave? Or, you know, that you just take declarative statements and turn them into questions. I, I you know, that, I can see how maybe that works. I, I feel like that's a little disingenuous. But um, I want to talk about scripts before we end the call. So, what do you guys think about scripts?
5: Speak up. I'm not a. It, I think it gets back to is one sale fit all, and I I kind of have an opinion like you. when you you started the call with that. I if one sales fits all, if it's a one call call one call sale, oh. low you know low price point, then a script probably works for what we do. I feel like I don't I don't think you can script everything out, certainly. I think you plan, but I don't think you can have a pure person total script.
0: Yeah, I you know, when he started this whole he talked about it throughout the book and then it comes at the end of the book. And of course, the entire way through I'm like, I hate scripts, don't use scripts. And then he starts talking about scripts. And he talks about He talks about Mel Gibson and actors and actresses, and he says, you know, every movie that has ever made you cry or laugh or feel some emotion has come from a script. And I thought, oh, that you know, I thought that was interesting. And he said, why would you put so much time and energy in preparing for something like a role and then wing it? So as much as I am against scripts, I do believe – Asking questions, having that sheet in front of you, and, and, and of course, the longer you're in the business, you memorize the questions to ask. But for the rookies, to you know, that are I know that I've got some juniors on the call, having the list of questions and the proper order to ask them, I think is crucial, at least to have in front of you. How many people on the call do do a lot of cold calling? for prospecting. That's not something I do a lot of, so I would love to know, because in the book, he talks a lot about cold calling versus what most of us do, I think, is canvassing in person. But any Jeff Dervich, Jeff are you still on the call? Maybe not. He dropped off. Anybody on the call do cold calling, prospecting?
1: But
3: this, is, this is Mike. I do a lot of cold calling, prospecting. Um, and I don't necessarily have a script, but I do have, like, bullet points per whatever site I'm calling on. Uh-huh. So, you know, if I'm calling on different types of, you know, for right now I'm looking for a restaurant, you know, I'll have bullet points on the site that I'm trying to sell to make sure I hit all the, you know, those marks when I'm talking to them. I've gone, you know, when you wing it, you kinda of forget you hang up and you're like, Oh, I should have told them about this, you know, you should have told them about that. So I I do have you know not necessarily a script, but again, you know, just bullet points of items to, to hit. But I think, you know, market knowledge of your site is, is a big thing. So as long as you know the market, you know the surroundings, you can you know, you can kinda of wing it as well. So
0: how are you successful? How many cold calls would you make in a sitting and what's your odds of you know, your goal is to try to get a showing, yeah?
3: yeah my goal is to get a showing and i've been i've been pushing i you know I'm kind of new to the the cold calling aspect you know I picked up a property that is kind of an off market listing so it's all cold calling um so I'm trying to do you know fifteen to twenty five calls a day right now for for that particular site so i mean i know the I've spoken to other guys you know Barry and other guys who do you know sixty plus calls a day and I, you know i I am not nowhere near there but I try and do at least fifteen to twenty calls you know twenty five calls a day so
0: and how are you finding your success
3: with that? It has been, you know, a lot of a lot of runarounds. A lot of the you know, the restaurants I'm going after are larger concepts, so you know, you're hitting you know, trying to get through the gatekeepers and stuff like that, but I've got some pretty good feedback and I've been put in touch with, you know, the right contacts and it's you know, it's a slow process, but it's 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 been pretty successful so far. So
0: Okay. You know, he talks. I do believe in this. He talks about talking about benefits and not features. And what I, an exercise that I always encourage people to do is to list on one side of it, like the left-hand side of the paper, the benefits, and then, and then list a question. So if, for example, at one of my properties I have, you know, a lot of traffic, then, you know, or, or, or the opposite. Let's say at one of my properties I have zero visibility. So that's, you know, not a good thing, but I want to ask the question, how do you get your business? Is it walk-in? Are you a destination? Is it referral-based? Is it Do people look you up online? So. Create, putting whether you know the benefits or or the facts about your property on the left hand side and then on the right hand side, write the question because you know talent like I always say talent sell, selling and ask and is so just to say, oh, I have a lot of traffic at my center. well, you know they don't want to hear that they want you to ask them a question you know is is you know if if you have another shopping center, what are the things that you like about it? well, I love that I have a lot of traffic. I like that I have a lot of visibility and exposure. You know, asking those questions, he talks about determining pain points. And so if they do have other locations, what do you like about your other location? What do you, don't, what do you not like about your other location? And even though we just learned that words are 10%, I do think that many of us can change our words to be more powerful, right, that the the center is highly, has a lot of traffic or is very busy or, so I think we can, we can definitely change some of our words to make them more powerful, and he talks about that. Um, Anything else about the book that you guys want to talk about as I'm going through my pages? Anybody else? What was the best thing? So anyone that read the book, what was the best thing you got out of it? Mike, you you recommended the book. What was your favorite thing?
3: I think one of the biggest things I liked about it was tonality that he talked about, you know, body language. I think that's a big thing. That's that's one thing I'm having a hard time with, you know, on the phone is because when you're in front of somebody, you can definitely read them and, you know, know if they're interested or not interested. Um, Mm -hmm. So I always like meeting people in person, especially with site visits and stuff. You know, I know a lot of leasing agents will just have, you know, give codes to their vacancies and let people go see it. And you know, I oh, prefer no, to be don't on do site that. And, <laughs> don't do that. and and I I I feel you have to sell it. You have to, you know, you you know, the the tonality in your body language and their body language and you can really read people. So, so how do you do you know, that? On are you do you smile? Like I'm smiling right now. Can you hear that I'm smiling versus not? You I think you have to do things like that, right? Yeah, either you, you got to raise your voice, and you know, yeah, he talks about how you know whispering and you know lower your voice, and then you know, you know high peaks in your voice and stuff like that. So that's you know the big thing that you know I thought was interesting, and you know that's something I'll continue to try and work on on the phone. But uh, I, you know that was one of the big things I got out of that, which I thought was interesting. So.
0: You know, they talk. He talks well, earlier about I... an, an,
5: for... Go ahead. I you just know, say, along those lines, Mike uh, one of the things that I'll do, and it kind of gets back to scripts and also tonality, is a lot of times I'll script out typically my voicemail messages. and a lot of times I will hit the. You, know, you can hit pound with most voicemail systems you can get get hear a replay of it. and i'll I'll do that a lot of times. and one of the things I'm listening for was my tonality positive? was it upbeat? Did it sound good? And if not, I'll just you know, you usually you can then have the option to replay it and I'll do it all over again and kind of just do it until I feel like I got the voicemail right. Uh, say kind of along those lines, one of the I'll pay attention to is the tonality. Nice.
4: Oh, that, that's impressive.
0: Uh, the last thing I want to say before I just talk about announcements are, and for the rookies on the call, he talks about you need to be sharp, enthusiastic, and an expert. And one of my interns came to me and said, well, how can I be an expert? I've been doing this for two weeks. And what I said to her was, you can be sharp, you know, be crisp, don't, don't, a lot of ums, not a lot of, you know, dragging. And you can be enthusiastic, you know, your voice, your demeanor, your body language. And you can be an expert in your market. So if, if one of my interns is working on a property in Sunrise, she can be the expert on Sunrise. And you can become an expert in your market in three days. So for the rookies on the phone, you can be an expert on that one space in your property, that one former restaurant space. So don't dismiss just because you haven't been in the market six months or a year that you can't be an expert in something, okay? So hey, – Beth? Yeah, uh-huh.
1: In the last, I was going to add one more thing on that. Was, uh, I had that highlighted, but also the last one I had was the 4C, certainty, Clarity, confidence, and and courage. Yes, a huge piece that I took away from that.
0: I love that. Okay, so announcements. Um, the next book club is July twentieth. We're going to do something different. We're going to talk about podcasts. What podcasts do you like? Maybe reference a specific episode you liked. So we're going to do that. So, so those of you that are, you know, start thinking about that. It's on July 20th, and if if we run out of things, you know, in the first 20-30 minutes, we can do it just a general Q&A about anything that you guys want to talk about and discuss. Um, August 17th is our next book and it's the Ray Dalio Dalio book, so it's on um, my website. I I don't have the exact name right here. Josie's on vacation, so Um, it's Ray Dalio's book, but it's on the website. And then on July 26th, location to be determined from 1 to 4, Barry Wolf and I are doing an acquisition workshop. So if you want to buy your first property or if you want to hear how I was able to um, put together a portfolio of six properties, Uh, come to that and when Josie gets back on July 24th, we will uh, put that announcement out. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for being on the call. Great discussion today and have a great rest of June. Thank you guys.
2: Thanks, Beth.
4: Thank
2: you, Beth.